0: Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, the show that was not in any way associated with the FTX crypto scandal. So get that out of your minds. Uh, Big, big apologies to any of you out there that were ruined in this. I know quite a few people in our space obviously are interested in the crypto world and investing in crypto and all that good stuff. I did have some Solana that I will say I had uh, when I buy, I think I bought like $1,000 of Solana. And just kiss that goodbye. I don't know. We'll see if that coin gets salvage. But I'll talk a little bit more about FTX later on in the show. Mainly, I want to talk about not the distinct aspects of what brought it down uh, internally, you know, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Sam. What the fuck's his loser's name? Sam Bankman Freed, or is it Fried? Probably Freed. The, uh, the Wonder Kid, this guy that everybody was really bending over backwards to praise because he was such a philanthropist. What a great guy. It's it, you know, it reminds me of these uber feminist men. Right. It reminds you of these beta bitch, uber feminist men that everybody bends over backwards saying how amazing they are. And they try so hard to be allies with the cause. And then it turns out that they're trying to finger bang every person possible at their worst moments. You know, a drunk crying girl. And they're there for them because they're they're so sympathetic. And then, ah, uh, a predator. But we'll get to that a little bit later today. I want to start off with uh, just recounting a little bit of how how my last few days have gone. I uh, am a little bit underprepared today. You know, the FTX stuff I had to get all caught up on, talk about it. Again, I'm not going to go into super detail. I'm going to give you my, my overarching take. And, I'm going to save commentary on Dave Chappelle, who, of course, hosted Saturday Night Live. I had uh, tweeted out, and I I think talked about it briefly. My prediction was after these SNL hack-ass writers, right? This writing staff that's unfunny, that's ultra-woke, that's ultra-sensitive. Three things that you don't want in comedy writing, by the by, is a bunch of sensitive fuckers writing your jokes. Well, after they had decided to boycott the episode because Mr. Chappelle was so out of bounds, so just unpalatable. Well, Chappelle still went forward, And kudos, by the way, to the producers of SNL for continuing to have him on, probably just a pure ratings play because Dave Chappelle draws in the numbers. And they, of course, desperately need more viewers. But I said it would be great if he brought in his old writing staff and just let them write all the sketches. Now, I still have yet to see the full thing. I watched some of the monologue, but... As I said, I'm going to save my comments on this because I was supposed to be talking with Lou Perez. We were supposed to talk uh, yesterday and record. I wanted his take on his new book. That joke isn't funny anymore because the timing couldn't be better to talk about his worldview writing this book and also this shakeout with Chappelle. We had to reschedule because of hashtag dad life. And I am now going to be talking to him on Thursday and that episode will come out next week. So look forward to that. Talk with Lou Perez. I also had to reschedule Jeff Dice for the same reason that my kid was home sick, but, uh, but anyway, check out the Patreon Lions of Liberty, Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty or lions of I will live stream the conversation with Lou Perez. It's going to be Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll get into all things Chappelle, his book. It's going to be a fun conversation. Lose one of my favorite guys. But yeah, had to reschedule because of dad life. Uh, and like I said, same thing with Jeff Dice. So I'm going to be uh, rescheduling with and have him on. But it has been a pain in my ass. My kid got this thing called RSV, which is uh, dangerous and not like COVID, you know, which is basically zero danger to small children, despite what the assholes at the CDC want you to think. This is something where if a baby gets it, and I've got an eight-week-old, well, it can get up in their lungs. You have to go take them to the hospital. They can get very sick. You have to get them on a little baby ventilator and oxygen. It's it's a nightmare. Basically, it's, it's... Something where you have to continuously check the oxygen levels in their blood to make sure they're not suffocating, you know, causing brain damage and everything else. So it's scary. And my daughter, my older daughter, got sent home, bad cough. And what you have to do is keep the kids separate. Quarantine, if you will, like the old school COVID recommendations when you have kids, you know, like they said, lock your kid in the closet. Well, we didn't go that far because we're not horrible people, we're not animals here. I had to keep my daughter with me at all times, which basically mean I couldn't work, I couldn't record, couldn't really do much of anything, right? I'm trying to keep her with me, keep her entertained. And she's somehow a monster that gets stronger when she's ill. Like, I I, I don't know if it's a Dungeons and Dragons superpower. I mean, I'm sure there's some fucking Pokemon card that has the same thing, but it's like when she's in an injured state, like a, like a cornered animal that's wounded, she somehow gets this superpower energy where she just is a psychopath Coughing, and yet high energy, like, girl, can't you just be sick? Can't you just sit in the corner and, and be ill and watch television like the rest of humanity? No, not this kid. So I finally today was able to punt her back into daycare, literally like a soccer goalie, you know, running out to the to the front of the daycare, dropped her, sidekicked her kung fu style through the doors, watched her hit the back wall of the daycare, threw her lunch in, and said, good riddance. I honestly, I don't know how people do it when you have, uh, you know, you those of you out there who homeschool 24-7, I don't know how you do it. My hat is off to you. I know you don't have work stuff to deal with at the same time if you're homeschooling for the most part. I know that's a, you know always a tough ask or a part time gig, but very stressful on my end. And uh, again, with the two, the, the separation of the children made it extra difficult. So my wife's basically locked in a bedroom, or we have to switch off, or I have to go take this sick kid out to the park and pretend that she's not, <laughs> she's not sick, avoiding the stares of other parents. So that's why this show is going to be a little bit more uh, off the cuff than even usual. I will have more of a forest and not a trees approach to my analyses. But that being said, I did see something I really wanted to talk about here. And that is that COP27 is going on, right? COP27, uh, cop out. It's, and I can't remember what it stands for. Uh, you know, the Coalition on, I don't know, obfuscating policy. That's probably what it should be called because it's a bunch of the global elite flying across the world. And there was a funny graph showing just how many private flights. It was something like 250 private airlines, private flights had flown in to, I think it's in Copenhagen every year. Flown into Copenhagen in order to take part in this global confab of people basically standing up there and masturbating about how they were going to control human uh, human ability to uh, to do business, human ability to survive, to flourish, et cetera. And naturally, all of the world's a leader there. You know, you've got anybody from the prime minister, the new prime minister of the UK who was not going to go and then got guilted into going uh, through to one of the funnier things. You probably saw it on the meme world, which is a 20-year-old Social media influencer who somehow has become a voice in the climate movement, despite having zero credentials, zero uh, believability in as far as anything as she is saying, and also just happens to be unbelievably hot. And she is the the first and youngest ambassador, or I'm sorry, advisor, to this COP27 United Nations event, to which of course I asked the question that everybody is burning in their minds how much is an hour of your advice? And when you leave, you won't tell my wife, right? Right. So just an absolute absurdity. And like I said, every speech at this COP27 is basically a speech on how to control humanity. That is the only thing that is the purpose here. I mean, literally, there's there's nobody coming together here to talk about how we should actually move things forward. It's like I talked about in my last episode talking about how you have to channel narcissism in the climate movements in order to get people to work towards a goal of freeing humanity rather than constraining them. These people are all about constraining, constricting, removing your ability to operate, to utilize natural resources, which should not be able to be ratified or, or quarantined or uh rationed away, right? These are natural resources. They should be available for people to use in a natural format and use and abuse however they see fit, as long as you're not directly harming your neighbor. Now, naturally, the biggest thing that comes about from environmental movements is the argument that you are distinctly harming your neighbor. However, there are natural laws that can put into place there in the courts that can eliminate this. You can sue people over damages that are being done. We have developed systems to take care of this. These people think that those systems aren't enough and that you have to shut down all of humanity in order to achieve certain goals. So flash forward, right? Because the way in which the market's playing out right now you have people that are desperately trying to stay alive because their circumstances uh, are surrounded by inflation. Their circumstances happen to be that in which you might not have enough oil or gas to make it through the river to keep your grandma alive from freezing to death. You have to go in and throw hot water bottles on her chest, you know, lit from dog carcasses you're burning in the backyard of Poland. So... There does not exist, one could say, a strong marketplace within the broader context of humanity, within the broader international community, to go down the rabbit hole of green policies. In fact, it probably would have been more prudent for them to cancel this COP27 conference in light of the fact that the fossil fuels are the only thing (laughs) that seem to be able to keep the lights on. That much has been made clear during this entire Ukraine-Russia conflict, wherein All of Europe tends to be on its knees begging for aid since Russia provided almost all of their natural gas and their solar that they talked about being so important and their wind farms, which just are so important. Well, they don't do enough to keep people alive. The nuclear plants, which they shut down in one of the stupidest motions and movements in the Green Party or the Green, uh, I'd say the Green Movement, which has now been rescinded, by the way, for the most part, they're turning them back on because it's never a problem in the first place. Well, those things also take some time to get started. So these people in the midst of all of this anarchy and chaos within the global marketplace for energy are still holding this to tell people how much better they are. But suffice to say, there is not a hankering within the general population nor in the investing population to follow after this green energy any longer. One could argue that there was really never that much of a hankering, except that it was created by governments, by regulations, created by clowns like John Kerry, created like clowns by like Al Gore, through lies, through pushing of fear-mongering, and through government pressures, government subsidies, government endorsements, and grants, which many of which have just gone down the rabbit hole of trash. Well, there wasn't really ever a market to begin with. Because marketplaces come from things actually being ready to be rolled out, to be profitable, or it can be forecasted to be profitable within a reasonable amount of time, right? That's your risk reward as an investor. Do you want to invest in, let's say, uh, you know, nuclear fission? Do you want to go down that path and say, okay, this company is far enough along that I think they can achieve this and provide this abundant, you know, abundant source of power in the future? Or is it not going to happen? That's the risk you take point being, though, to force people into, say, investing in these technologies or to pretend that this this technology is here when it's clearly not ready is folly. And yet we're seeing that play out in the markets. Now, John Kerry went, and this is what really I'm coming around to that drew my attention. John Kerry went as our number one climate advisor for the Biden administration to the COP27 and gave a speech there. And he discussed a brand spanking new... I guess, addition, expansion of something I had never heard about before. Maybe you guys have, and you're better people than I am. But it's called the First Movers Coalition. Now, the First Movers Coalition is according to the uh, state.gov. So this is an official state coalition program. This is an official organization, which essentially seeks to expand and create marketplaces for green energy. Launched by the Biden part, or the uh, excuse me, let me start over. Launched by President Biden in partnership with the World Economic Forum. Always great guys when the World Economic Forum is involved. You know that humanity is not at the forefront of their conversation. But it was launched last year at COP26. First Movers Coalition has expanded to include 65 companies representing more than 10% of the global Fortune 2000 by market value, as well as 10 government partners. New corporate members include General Motors, PepsiCo, and Rio Tinto. I have no idea what Rio Tinto is. I did enjoy the film Rio about blue birds, so perhaps this is, uh, that, that really took off more than we know. Now, they're talking about expansion. Now, this is again, this is from a document that was published November 9th. So very recently on state.gov. In addition, today, the First Movers Coalition launched an unprecedented new set of commitments focused on cement and concrete, in which companies will purchase at least 10% near zero carbon cement and concrete by 2030, anchored by world-leading companies such as General Motors. Cement and concrete, again, I don't know how many, how much concrete is General Motors using? Are we, are you driving around concrete cars? <laughs> the ridiculous of this. Concrete and cement make up about 7% of global emissions today and are on track to reach 9% by 2050. So watch out. Wow. Watch out. 9% by 2050 in concrete. This ambitious set of purchasing commitments by First Movers Coalition members will create an early market to stimulate investment in the next generation of technologies needed to decarbonize cement and concrete. In total, the coalition members have pledged $12 billion for bringing emerging innovations to scale, the world's largest or strongest demand signal. Remember that phrase? These commitments will drive investment in the next clean steel, aluminum, and cement. The companies that have stepped forward will drive down the cost of emerging technologies and bring them into the market this decade in order to decarbonize sectors of the economy. So, you see what's being done here. John Kerry doubled down on this, by the way, saying in a speech at COP27 that the W.E.F.'s launch was needed to create demand signals in the market where they didn't exist. He says it takes boldness. It takes courage from these executives who made the decision to be a part of this. First off, fucking bullshit. It takes courage from these decision makers. I'm sure that they were coerced into it by government promises of subsidies, by government promises of uh, of favors in the back room, by whatever means maybe the government's going to underwrite these investments. I don't trust that these companies have just decided to do it on their own or there's some way, shape, or form for them to actually not have to invest in it with their own money. That seems to be the way these things work. But just the fact that this exists, the fact that you have a government-funded market coalition that exists solely for the purpose to create false market signals, and that's what these are. I want to reemphasize that. This isn't the government... Trying to maximize uh, potential by deregulating, by lowering taxation, by enticing uh, you know entrepreneurs and new business owners to create in this country or to remove boundaries from them, exploring new technologies by allowing them different uh, benefits of, I don't know what it might be. Combining things that are typically regulated out of existence, right? This isn't the government stepping out of the way to allow a new technology to enter the marketplace or trying to help people thrive. What this is, is looking at an arbitrary and let's say evil number, like a 9% emissions due to concrete by 2050. Okay. What does that mean? Probably nothing. Nothing yet they're using this arbitrarily uh, picked number right that that i'm sure is is being touted by every research statistician bullshit artist at cop27 as some groundbreaking figure we're trying to say that that means that these companies have to create a remember what's it create the strongest market demand signal By investing twelve billion dollars of government and private money into a new form of cement that is zero emissions, and this will create a signal that number one will drive the marketplace because again they're creating a false marketplace. They're using public private market public private monies to drive down the cost of these technologies, of these uh, creations, of these whatever the fucks they are, in order to get people to adopt them, to invest in them. And then what's going to happen if they pull out? That's what I want to know. What's going to happen after all of this behind-the-scenes nonsense investing to adjust market demand, to essentially to con people into believing that this is a sustainable technology? That's what they're doing. They're trying to con you into thinking that this is the future, that people are using it because it's ready to be used when it's clearly not. And he basically tacitly admits that much. He's saying this is something we're doing to get people to go down this path because it's not quite ready yet, but it's going to be. We're creating the marketplace for it because the marketplace has to be created since it doesn't functionally exist within the real world. That's what this fucking coalition is actually designed to do. This is disturbing to an unbelievable degree because we talk about how the marketplace is supposed to operate. We talk about how these fuckers are coming out here and I guarantee half the speeches given at COP27 are also smashing capitalism, right? They're saying that capitalism is absolutely untrustworthy, that it is abusive towards humanity, that people are getting taken advantage of all the time. Well, yeah, if you've shit like this going on, if you've got cronyism to this degree going on, where you literally have a cabal, a climate cabal behind the scenes organizing what market features are going to work out, what technologies are going to be underwritten through false investments that are being forced through by governments in order to trick the population into believing them, in order to send a quote-unquote demand signal to shove down people's throats Whatever technology they decide to put their finger on at that given time. This is more insidious than having straight subsidies or government grants. Why? Because it's behind the scenes. Because it's not just a government subsidy that you can track, that you can see, that are voted on, that are put into bills. No, this is more insidious because it is a conspiracy. When you talk about conspiracy theories, you're talking about typically wild things outside the realm of imagination. But guess what? This is a conspiracy by the government working with other companies within a marketplace to create an a, a false price point to sell the population on. Don't we have a legislation that's supposed to target that? Don't we have things on the books that they always talk about bringing to bear on private companies that are looking a, into different market sectors? Don't we have threats from them to regulate and, and go after trusts? To combat gasoline prices? Don't we have them to go, you know, target X, Y, and Z, whatever it might be at any given time where, where suppliers are short. Bakeries that are coordinating to try to keep market prices at one point in time. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, we do have them. They're called antitrust laws. And yet you have a conspiracy by the government, created by the government, working with the largest governments in the world and members of the World Economic Forum, to create a trust that is working in conjunction with each other to set a price for a fucking market commodity that is not realistic nor related to the free market. I- I'm sorry. Isn't that the whole point of government is to stop things like this? And yet that's what they're fucking doing. I'm sorry. I'm getting riled up here, but it's just, this is beyond insane. It's one of the craziest things I've ever read when I read this thing. I couldn't believe it. I can't believe more people aren't talking about it. You talk about cronyism. You talk about the evil of government. You talk about governments getting involved in free markets and completely fucking them up. You talk about the insanity of this climate cult that exists out here. I'm all for environmentalism guys I'm not saying that it's even a bad idea to have new technologies coming out for clean steel or clean clean cement that has less emissions come out of it over time fine but don't try to push them on the population when they're not ready don't send us market signals from your conspiracy group In order to sell them, let them come out, let them be available. Let us see the actual cost point. Let us see the actual advantages of investing in this tech. And then we can decide if we're ready for it as a society, if we're ready for it as an investing population without being lied to and and have this coordinated behind the scenes and have collusion going on there. The one that everybody, whatever happened to collusion? Everybody liked to talk about collusion when Donald Trump was in office. No, no more collusion anymore. Well, here's your collusion. It's the World Economic Forum. It's the global elites, which have, by the way, burned off more tons of carbon in a day flying to this fucking place than 2,000 pounds of cement or whatever, 2 trillion pounds of cement are going to create anyway. But yet they're going to change the markets in order to fight it and push this crap. I just, I can't, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe it. spit on my screen. I got so fired up about it. So anyway, look at that. That's your moment of Zen. That's your welcome moment of Zen for this episode. That's just crazy. Well, let's move on to the next topic. This is going to be a little, I said, a little bit shorter show because I'm just, uh, I, I don't have, I didn't have that much time to look at through the news. Carrie Lake lost. So now again, you know, I was talking about this argument over when I was on Fabian Liberty show and, uh, Again, I, you know, Donald Trump back candidates, guys. I'll just do a quick five minutes on this. But Trump backed candidates, I do not feel did too well. I know in Republican strongholds, they did just fine. But again, when you have swing states, when you have the places where individual voters that are uh, going back and forth, independent voters are actually making the change. Trump did not do well endorsing those candidates. Flat out didn't. Blake Masters lost. Carrie Lake lost. Granted, Yeah. Katie Hobbs is a, is a governor that's counting the votes, somehow counting the votes and able to still run. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. But point being, I, I would be shocked beyond shocked if anything changed there. It is what it is. So it looks like I think at this point, still, the GOP is going to take the House. I think they need one more seat. I don't think there's any number of uh, of ballot harvest operations that could happen within the next uh, two weeks to change the fact that they should take the House. They did not get the Senate. They will not be uh, taking advantage of that, uh, which is too bad. I would have liked to see that happen if for for no other reason than to, to really go after Fauci, although I think Rand Paul is still going to be leading up uh, some sort of coalition to go after him. But now, of course, the fangs have been removed. You know, Rand Paul could argue with Fauci, but there's not going to be any formal move within the Senate to go after him, that corrupt piece of human garbage. I guarantee Dr. Fauci all for the World Economic Forum. Uh, I wonder if he's on some different first-movers coalition that has already been collaborating to push mRNA vaccines, keep the cost of that down, convince people that this technology is ready to go. But uh, I digress. I just, yeah, the, the midterms were interesting. Still... Completely fucked how many countries or how many counties, excuse me, still have issues counting votes. How many states can't seem to get this together? Obviously, the mail-in voting is a fiasco still, even if you believe in it, even if you don't think that it is, uh, it's necessarily corrupt, it's still a fiasco. There's no way we should have vote counts going into weeks and weeks and weeks after the physical date <laughs> has ended where you go vote. There should be a definitive cutoff, and I think it should be 24 hours afterwards. the mail to get through, well, you should have mailed it earlier, period. It's not like you can trust the mail any time to actually get through regardless. I mean, who are we joking? (laughs) Who are we getting? Well, I put it in the USPS mail and uh, come wind, come hail, come sleet or snow. The mail always arrives unless you have physical cash in it, in which case they cut the card open, they take it out, they keep it. Give me a break. But it does seem to me that it's a fiasco. I think that there has to be uh, very stringent laws that have to be made against ballot harvesting. I think that's the most easily corruptible thing that we see from mail-in voting. But regardless, it's it's a mess. It's a letdown. The red wave did not happen. It's, uh, as I tweeted out uh, the night of, I think it was after I did my live stream, I tweeted this out. But you know it, what's really sickening is that the government, the GOP, because many of them, were too cowardly to really fight back against what had gone on during COVID. Uh, they went along with it. I mean, I, in DeWine, Ohio's governor, he went along with it. And and that stupid bastard got reelected with a ton of percentage points, which shocked me. But overall, you still have all of these, you know, left and right, Democrats left and right. You have people that went through COVID that were all for the vaccine mandates. They were all for Punishing, punitively, just taking horrible actions out on people that wouldn't go along with this government narrative that we all had to be quarantined, we all had to be boosted, we all had to be uh, force fed this, this uh, you know, experimental <laughs> vaccine. Those people clearly, what I'm taking from these is they, they were not ready to admit that they were wrong. And the GOP. Whether or not it's because they simply went along too far, that they wouldn't, didn't want to uh, throw Trump under the bus, who of course is still taking credit for the uh, Project Warp Speed vaccine program, for whatever reason they they were not confident enough to attack COVID, to attack the lockdowns, to attack vaccine mandates, and I couldn't believe that they didn't attack the CDC. Maybe there were some people running out that I just didn't notice, but attacking the CDC for recommending that children get this vaccine could have been a key issue because now you're talking about children and as i'd said on previous podcasts the number of people that actually had gotten vaccines for their kids was something like eight percent so that means 92 percent of the population of the united states said absolutely not i'm not injecting my children with this garbage and yet the cdc recommended it seems like that could have been an issue that could have cut through and gotten past any anti-trump hate if, you're, if it's, look, this guy's backed by Trump or look, you're going to kid have your kid mandatorily inv- injected with a vaccine to be able to go to a public school. Well, I think you probably are still going to side with your kid not getting heart issues and, uh, and for a little bit more freedom. But hell, what do I know? All right, let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about this FTX thing real quick. And, you know, as I said, it's just, it's funny because You've got this guy who, as I said, was built up into this superhuman, okay, a super genius. He's barely 30 and he's got $20 billion and this guy is really turning things on his head and he's such a great guy and he's a philanthropist and he, you know, yada, yada. And he also, don't forget, he gave $40 million to Democrats during this midterm cycle, by the way, $40 million. To democrats during this last midterm but he now is of course falling to pieces this guy sam bankman freed sbf and it's all coming down because mainly he was stealing money from his investors or from people that had money on the crypto exchange and, pour, and putting it over into alameda research right this is his side the side business that uh, that he owned and and in that it's even you pack it in, they're saying there's something like 150 companies or up to 150 companies potentially under this one banner. I mean, it was like a convoluted scheme that he ran to obfuscate what was going on and using these FTT tokens in order to essentially pull money out of the exchange by giving people perks, you know, like a percentage lower on trades, pulling money out of the exchange by issuing these tokens, which is how he gets around, I think, SEC regulation in a certain way. I I know I'll recommend this, by the way. Listen to Jason Stapleton's show. He does a great breakdown of it. And again, this is all coming out, so it's kind of going step by step. But he has a very good breakdown. So check out my buddy Jason's show. When he talks about that, it was just this week's episode. Long story short, by basically defrauding people that are on the exchange and spending all of the money that's supposed to be there held on the exchange, right? The promise of the exchange, and this is why it's important to have a hard wallet, yes, I need to put my money in a hard wallet. I've got one right next to me and I just haven't fucking set it up yet like an asshole. But fortunately, I was not an FTX. Good job, mate. So basically, all, this, all these cryptocurrencies that are supposed to be sitting there, well, he took them out and he sold them off and he invested them in his own other companies. Now, he took out something like for what were supposed to be nine or 10 billion in assets, he took out Everything except something like $900 right? That's what was actually available for withdrawal should there be, they used to call it a bank run of the day, but that's what was available, $900 million. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole crypto market regulation specifically except at the end here to make a point because I want to make this point that I tweeted out as well. Again, at Brian McWilliams, guys, if you want to follow me on Twitter and, of course, follow at Lions of Liberty. But I tweeted this out in that when you look at that, okay, so FTX had essentially 10% reserves. Now, if you know anything about fractional reserve banking, you know that there was a standard that exists for United States banks or banks doing business in the U.S. that required them to keep 10% of those residential accounts, you know, basically checkings and savings accounts to keep 10% in the bank. That was so that there was, you know, a little chance they said, "Okay, even though you're supposed to have enough money that people can make their withdrawals. Well, of course, the idea here is that you lend the money out and you exponentially make money on it because of the interest rates. Right. You lend it out. You get it back. Great. And nobody's going to come. You know, the odds of all these millions of people deciding they all want their money at one point is is slim. Granted, it's happened in the past which is how you've had banks, bank runs and banks go bankrupt. And of course, you know, if if you've ever watched It's a Wonderful Life where all the people are running in and they want their money. But of course, he'd lend all their money out. And it's a a heartwarming story of fractional reserve banking. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I never really fucking thought about that before. It's a Wonderful Life is a heartwarming defense of fractional reserve banking. How fucking funny is that? Very funny is the answer. Oh, my God. I got to write that down. That's that's what, uh, you know what? Because we do our, our Christmas Naughty or Nice, and sometimes we do little sketches. I'm going to write it down. That's going to be our comedy sketch this year, guys. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful fractional reserve life. So, essentially, though, that, ex- that standard of 10% is what the the fed had demanded of banks and you had to have that again, you know, it's all tied in with FDIC and to be federally insured and all this other horseshit, basically all part of this big Ponzi scheme, right? Well, even that 10% now in 2020, I don't know if you guys know this, but in 2020, the federal reserve actually had eliminated that as well. So essentially now banks that are operating in the United States, they actually don't have to have 10% in the banks that are in their physical accounts. They actually have to have basically nothing. It's effectively been lowered to zero. So I was just laughing because, you know, people are talking about how, oh, FTX collapsed. Like, Can you believe this guy took this money out and let it out, to, you know, and, and and put it in his other investments at these other companies and only had 900 million left. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, there's no bank in the United States that even has that much. There's no bank that has, that has 10% in reserve in any way. Most of these places are down to 2%, 1%. It's just that they have the confidence to fuck around because they are backed by FDIC. They know they're not going to ever be in a position wherein they can go bankrupt like FTX did. You know why? Because the government will bail them out. You and I will bail them out. I mean this is in this is the nature of banking. Banking is utterly corrupt. The entire system is utterly corrupt it is built on a stack of cards it's going to fall down at some point in time and it might be in the very near future because everything is debt and it, it's not only the debt that they exist right it's just it's also the fact that these people you know every time they create more money every time there's a stimulus and they create this shit they send it to the banks first and then the banks are able to lend it out so when you think about this if the government says okay we're going to give you a trillion dollars in stimulus money or a trillion dollars in ballot money or whatever it might be what ends up happening and this is why inflation is so uh, absolutely spiraling and inflation is so much worse than you could ever think it is. They lend it out at 10 times the rate that actually exists. They they create 10 times the money than what actually physically exists through loans because they only have to have this fractional reserve. And as I said, the Fed had basically eliminated the requirement on fractional reserve banking in the first place. So it's all just completely fabricated at this point in time and again cracks me up because ftx had more liquidity for a potential run uh and withdrawal from investors than any bank that you could find in the united states or internationally for that matter than virtually any financial institution ftx was better off in liquidity the difference being that in the united states it's agreed upon terms the problem with fdx was that of course people didn't realize how much money was being removed from the uh from the exchange because he had done it in a roundabout way whereas with our current banking system you know for full well that they're going to be lending out your money and anybody that isn't an imbecile knows full well how banks operate that they're essentially say running in debt at all points in time uh paying themselves out with uh with fantastic amounts of money, but if you actually did any sort of real audit into the finances, into the liabilities, into how these and again, you know, there's a great book called The Creature from Jekyll Island, which gets into detail on how these things work, how their assets work, how this lending scheme works. But it is just shocking and disturbing to behold. But one more thing I want to add on this, and you know, again, it's not just that it's it's funny that this that these people are all pointing to crypto as somehow this risky environment. The only thing that makes it different, and this is why I think, you know, you have the CEO of Coinbase and, and a couple of the big exchanges demanding that crypto be regulated now. And of course, they're demanding it be regulated after making their billions in it already. So it behooves them to continue. And of course, by regulating it, you now are eliminating the upstart of competition in the marketplace. But my belief now, especially after seeing this, is that they want to regulate the crypto market exchanges and get them involved with the Fed and get them involved with uh, with you know, federal backing because they want to be able to operate in the same way. They want their exchanges to be able to have the same privileges to operate, to lend out, to have fractional reserve in the same manner and be backed by government dollars to make sure that the federal taxpayer is on the hook should anything go wrong FTX style. And don't be... Surprised when you see this happen. They're going to have hearings. I guarantee it. FTX is going to be used as the poster boy for exactly why you have to have government regulation and how this is outside of the standard of risk. And we have to, as a government, we have to defend the people and make sure that they cannot be put on the hook should something like this ever happen again that's not a risk that they took on we have to regulate it we have to provide that we have these people's backs we have to make sure that the government has has funds to take care of people should they lose it because this is just like the new wave of this shit's gonna happen ftx is basically assured that this will happen i'm gonna guess within the next two years i'm gonna guess before the next presidential election That's what's going to happen. And again, all these people call on for regulation of the crypto marketplace. They want it for one reason only. It's to protect their asses and ensure that they will not go tits up if they start making risky maneuvers. Everything comes around to the same question, which is who benefits. And the answer is very, very obvious. The people that benefit from regulation are the biggest exchanges operating right now with the most to lose and the least to gain from a, a deregulated marketplace, a wild west, if you will. All right, guys, that's going to wrap it up. I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, if you like the show here, please do subscribe. Share it with a friend. Tweet it out. uh, You know, come follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. If you would be so kind, we would love to get you on board supporting the Lions of Liberty podcast. And uh, by the way, I forgot. I got to tout this. Let me go to lionsofliberty.store right now because guys it's the holiday season and i want to show you uh one of our best things one of our absolute best things let me search for it right here it's the merry taxation is death mug and of course you can also get one of these for free by the way if you sign up go to patreon.com forward slash lines of liberty you will get a discount on any merchandise number one so you're If you're going to order a mug, you might as well just join for five dollars on the Patreon anyway, because you know you'll get your benefit there. You get a mug and a t shirt, it's even itself out, but you can also get a mug for free joining a certain level. Let me, I'm going to share my screen so you can see this beautiful bastard. Oh, yeah, look at that Lions of Liberty. It's got the the Lions of Liberty with a little hat on, and on the back, I love this merry taxation is death to the state from the lions of liberty the merry's got little reindeer horns on it you can make a statement you can give it as a gift if you got some liberty people in your uh in your household or your uh, your close friend circle this is a fantastic gift great secret santa if you guys are going to be doing anything like that you know get your libertarian conventions together get your 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 conservative conventions together whatever it might be check it out merry taxation is death guys from the lions of liberty all right that's going to do it from me Brian McWilliams from the Lions of Liberty Network and from Mean Age Daydream. Keep those electric eyes on me, babe, and keep that rig under my head. Peace. See you soon.